nurses and hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Have you ever just wanted to quit your job because you were just fed up? You were done. You were done with everything going on, but you didn't. You never spoke up because you were afraid of being taken to the principal's office or worse yet, you were afraid to get fired because that would mean you'd lose your 401k, you'd lose your health insurance benefits, you'd lose your freebies in the cafeteria. You know, and then what would you do? Who would you be? But do you remember that movie from 1996, Jerry Maguire? The protagonist was played by Tom Cruise and he sits at his computer late one night and he pens this manifesto and it's called The Things We Think and Do Not Say. I'm sure we've all been there at one point in time. The writer-director of the film, Cameron Crowe, he actually penned a real 25-page manifesto. I'm just going to read a few lines. We cannot sleepwalk. We cannot just survive. Anything goes. We can take control of our lives. We can quit sleepwalking. We can say right now, these are our lives. It is time to start living. A life isn't worth living if you are sleepwalking through it. On today's episode of Nurses and Hypochondriacs, Kali Fontania joins me to discuss her personal mission statement and how she walked away from her job as a school teacher. She started telling stories on TikTok and blew up. That landed her on Fox News. And now she's opening up her own school. Kali took a chance. We're also going to be talking about critical race theory and what your kids are actually learning in school. This is an episode you won't want to miss. Welcome to Nurses and Hypochondriacs, Kali Fontania. Oh, hi. <laughs> I know everybody gets all like, am I supposed to say hi now? Yeah. <laughs> Funny. Cool. I am so happy to have you here. I'm so excited that I found you on TikTok. I was watching you and then all of a sudden you started doing something amazing. You started blowing up and you were on mainstream TV. Yeah. And yeah. now you're here, which is super awesome. So tell us about yourself. I mean, you have a, an amazing story. I mean, you started telling me the story of your name, which I love because that's what I teach in my storytelling classes, but go for it. Who are you? Oh man, this past year and a half has been nuts. You're, you're right on that. This it's, I think it's been crazy for everyone. And I think we've all had a choice to make on whether or not we're just going to stay silent or we're going to speak up. And especially as nurses, and I'm a teacher, that's a really tough decision to make because you do feel like your career is on the line when you, when you decide to speak up against what's going on in the mainstream narrative. 
And um, about two years ago, I was a public school teacher in California and enjoying my job, tenured, tenured, been teaching for 15 years. I love being a teacher. I think it's just God's gift that he gave to me is being a teacher. And two years ago, we shut down. And this was, this was in March. So we're, we're going on almost two years now. I get this message that um, they, they might be shutting down our schools, which in my school, they, they wouldn't even shut down when we had a gas leak. We had a gas wow. leak and we kept teaching. We had our, our toilets stopped working and they brought in porta potties. <laughs> so shutting down the schools is very rare, extremely rare. So the idea that they were about to shut down our schools was crazy. So I'm, I'm telling my students, you guys, I think they're actually going to shut us down. And my students didn't believe me. I was like, yeah, I'm a high school teacher. My students didn't believe me. I'm like, I think they're going to shut us down. And <laughs> so what happened is uh, uh, that Friday we got an announcement because they didn't really tell us teachers right away. They, they kind of kept it a secret to, from us. They we got announced at the end of the day, our schools are being shut down and the kids need to all go home. We're not going to go back to school next week. And it's going to be two weeks. So during this time, I already was starting to get outspoken on what's going on in our world, but not like how I am doing now, not even close, but the pandemic is what really just brought me to go black, <laughs> you know, like I just, yeah. I couldn't, I couldn't be silent anymore, especially with what they were doing to our kids. So then they shut down, they shut down our schools for two weeks and that turned into two months. And then in the summertime, we saw some of the most horrific and violent riots our country has ever seen. And massive crowds of people on the streets rioting and doing violence. And, and, and we're supposed to be in a pandemic, right? And I'm seeing people say, oh no, it's okay now. You guys can go out and be going these massive crowds and we can have kids rioting and all of this violence and, and, and people being shot and killed at these so-called protests. You know, I think it was something like 12, 12 people were, were killed within two weeks. Oh, wow. And I'm talking about the Black Lives Matter yeah. protests. Right. And I, this is when I just went completely like, there is only a few people that can speak up about this right now. Because if you are not the right skin color and you speak up about this and you say that this is wrong, what's happening? Because those protests should have ended the night that the first black man was shot on a Friday night in Oakland. He was shot and killed. They should have stopped. And just like in the time of civil rights era, they stopped and regrouped when things turned violent. Right. But instead they just kept going and kept going. So that's when I just started to really start speaking up. And I started speaking up online because I had a bunch of friends and family members because I'm from California and I used to be very much on the left. And now I consider myself an independent, but I vote for whoever is going to take less money from me. So usually I vote red, <laughs> but right. I don't consider myself a Republican because I think a lot of them are on the same team. Right. So, um, so I, so I start speaking up because I have these friends that are saying crazy stuff, donate to the funds to bail out the protesters, even though they weren't protesters, they were actually like doing horrific things to, to police. I mean, over 700 police. A lot of them were hired. I, I exactly. mean, a lot of them were hired. They yeah. had bricks there. Um, they were told to throw bricks yeah. into, um, stores. A lot of them were black owned. You yeah. Know? And, and it's just like, what are you doing? But you, you know? see, it's a at that time, you uh, couldn't speak up about it. Only a no. few people were allowed to speak up about it. And even if you did, even if you were black and you spoke up about it, you would get 
so much hate, but it was a little less hate than if you were, I mean, people would actually listen to you too, if you're black and spoke up about it, but right. and it I was, was a branding game. I mean, it, yeah. it was like a, a corporate branding game. We were talking yeah. a little bit about branding and marketing before, but that's what they were doing, you know? And all of a sudden you saw other brands going, we are for black lives matter. Yes. Cause it's like, they were just protecting. I was like, Oh, here we go. Communism, Marxism, yeah. because Absolutely. as they were accusing the people of black lives matter, to be Marxist, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I, I know I got pulled into a, a Twitter argument like um, by other people who are nurses are all into leadership. I think there was four or five of them and they were like, we need to do better. And da, 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 da. I was like, speak for yourself. Yeah, I go. Yeah. I have friends of all color. I date all kinds of colored men, you know, black, white, purple, orange, whatever. You could look at this podcast, how it is. I've worked in all kinds of different areas around uh, Southern California, Los Angeles. Um, That's not me. And I said that, oh, did I get bashed? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. But, but, and and it makes you have like cognitive dissonance because you're like, wait a minute, I, I know me, know thyself, and what's going on around me is insanity. Yeah, you know, absolutely, and so hurtful to society. I mean, they haven't done anything to help Black America, America except you know give their founders a bunch of beautiful mansions. And so, so yeah, so I started speaking up against that online, and I started getting when I started speaking up against that, I was receiving a friend request every single minute. I actually have screenshots. Love it. Of it. Yeah, it was nuts. And I was like, I have never even asked for this. I didn't have social media for four years. I cut off, I, I tried it out when it was first, you know, getting big. And I was like, this is a time waste. I cut it out it for is. four years. And then during the pandemic is when I decided to get back on because I was like, this is nuts. And also I'm being isolated from all my friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided to start posting about this. And one of my very first po- posts was that I refused to watch the George Floyd video. Now I'm not faulting anyone that watched it, but I said, I am not going to watch it because I'm tired of seeing the media profit off of snuff videos of black men. Snuff videos right. are illegal. You know, I remember being in college. Remember when we used to like download all the bad stuff? Because back then you had to like go through this long process to watch anything bad. Yeah, yeah. And there was this like sub, there was like this sub like weird part of the internet where you could download snuff videos. And like that was kind of a trend in college where people were downloading people of people getting killed and watching and videos of it, which is illegal. But then we have the mainstream media showing all of America videos of black men getting killed. They don't show the videos of anybody, of children being child trafficked. They don't, um, human trafficked. They don't show the videos of any white male that's killed by the police, which does happen. It actually happens more often than black men, you know, but they're showing these videos of black men. It's a snuff video. And I was like, I'm not watching it. And I got, and that was when I first started receiving a whole load of hate. Like, you're just not going to, I'm like, no, I'm not going to. I mean, some of these people watched it over and over again, like six cycles. Yeah. Like, dude, stop. You're not going to do anything. What are you going to do? You're not going to do anything. You're going to watch this video and put, post a black square and act like you're doing something for black people. Like I was so right. annoyed with that. And then, and then I saw, you know, then we had like nurses and doctors coming out and saying, oh, even though we're in a pandemic, this is more important you guys going out and protesting. And I was like, wait a minute here. Our schools are shut down. Our kids are going, are getting behind by the minute net right now. Like our kids are, our students are struggling. I had students that were taking classes with kids in their lap 
you know, because they had to babysit their brothers and sisters because their parents still had to work. And you're going to say, oh, go ahead and go out and do these violent protests. It's okay. It's more important than this supposed pandemic you're trying to convince us all of, you know? So I just was, I just got so sick of it. And I just started speaking up and then the rest is history. I mean, I received a gift from my district about a month after the George Floyd riots. I received a gift from my district for being a black teacher. And um, it was, it was, first of all, I received an email from the superintendent. It was very, very pandering. It said, we're gathering together a group of black, um, mind you, my district is majority Hispanic. It's 80 to 90% Hispanic kids. And I've only taught Hispanic kids because I, I taught the English learners. And we have about 10 black teachers in my district out of a thousand. Wow. And, and so to, to, to get singled out for my race for one was already like, can we not do that? I'd rather be honored as a teacher for my merit than on the yeah. color of my skin. And then they're also, and then the gift itself was so bad. <laughs> I what mean, was it was, it? yeah. So I, so the gift had a black educators matter mask in it. Yeah. Which I now use in parody <laughs> videos. So on my TikTok, the reason, so I, I saw one. Yeah. yeah. So I started making parodies of a woke teacher because I was just like, I had this really bad toothache and I couldn't sleep. And so I got this character from like not sleeping and having a bad toothache named uh, Miss Luna Activist. And I just started TikTok's already a really crazy platform. And I'm like, okay, I'm yeah. going to start making parody videos. And I started using the Black Educators Matter mask. And people think she's real, I think mainly because she wears a mask in the videos. And, you know, yeah. And so I, I got this mask from in the gift, from in my gifts, the gift also had an, I love being black pin in it and an, I love being black sticker. It had, um, this little, it had an Africa, an Africa with the Biela, I mean, the black power fist on it in the, on the card that was with it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It had, um, it had a letter to me that, that greeted me in the ancient greeting of OTEP and said, the God in me acknowledges the God in you and black oh educators God. are so important and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, what, you know, imagine if they had done this for who the white. Who created that? But who um, created that? So it was a group of parents that did it through the district. So the district was like a group of parents wants to honor the teachers. And so they put, gathered this gift. Oh, it also had expired Avon in it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> And it's funny because the video went viral on TikTok. Cause so, so I'm doing this, these parodies of this black educator matter mask on, and I decided to explain where the mask came from. And I wasn't even planning on having that video be one of my big videos or anything. I'm just goofing off on TikTok. And I yeah. noticed that this video starts going viral and, and it's it basically the, our country is so divided because the amount of support I got on it. Cause in the video, I said, I said, I would never wear this. Black Educators Matter mask in front of my students, because what it's showing is it's a political statement for one, because it's saying that I support the Black Lives Matter movement, which is a political movement to abolish the police. It's not about black lives. It's about getting rid of the police. It's about defunding the police because they don't care about any black life except ones that fit in their narratives, which is very exactly. And so it's not Black Lives Matter. We need to get that out of our head. It's the abolish the police movement, but they just have the name Black Lives Matter. So when I wear that wear a black educators matter mask. I'm showing my students that I support this movement and you can't speak up if you don't support it. Exactly. You know, so the video went viral and that was nuts. It got shared on several. I mean, okay. So the guy that shared it on Facebook, he was a white guy. He had a radio, a small time podcast. He actually shared it on Facebook and it went to a million views in like three days. Wow. The amount 
of hate that was received on that video. He even got death threats and had to contact the police. Over me not accepting a stupid pandering black gift, he gets death threats. I mean, it's nuts how divided our country is right now. I got called, I have like screenshots. I actually stopped reading some of the comments because either the comment was super supportive, like this teacher gets it. Thank you for not indoctrinating our kids. Thank you for um, rejecting this narrative that we need to be so hyper race focused. You know, thank you for not falling for this victim narrative garbage, right? Beautiful comments. Or I got comments like she hates her own skin and she just wants to be, she just, she's just trying to get attention or she's just, um, she, uh, not all, not all slaves are free and not all, not all people oh that say our skin color are brothers and sisters. I mean, just some of the most hateful stuff I've ever received. Wow. And over this one little dumb gift that I got that I decided, and that's the problem. When you reject this narrative, you get treated with so much hate. I mean, it's, yeah. I it's have crazy. never been called the N word in my life more so than the last year, wow. year and a half by people on the left. Yeah. It's, it's mass psychosis. I yeah. mean, people they've done it. Uh, like I said, these branding geniuses have done <laughs> such a great job. Oh, they're so good at it. Yeah putting people to sleep and making them believe this, you know, yeah. it's, it's crazy. I've studied because living in Los Angeles, we have Scientology yeah. and I was always interested in Scientology. I'm like, I don't get it. Like these yeah. people just give up their livelihoods, everything for this church that they don't even know if it's real, mm-hmm. you know, and they all give it to this guy who created a sign. He was a science fiction writer. Mm-hmm. I was like, how does that happen? So I really started studying L. Ron Hubbard. And even as a kid, I remember seeing the L. Ron Hubbard um, Dianetics commercials on TV. And I was like, oh, I want to read that. And then my mom yeah. would take me to the library. I was like, oh, this is the book on TV. I want to read this. And my mom yeah. be like, what? Yeah. And look at what it did to me as a child. Yeah. You know, just that commercial with a volcano erupting. And I really yeah. wanted to read that book because yeah. he was saying you need to read it. So there is something in this mass psychosis that are making people believe, oh, wait a minute, I need to say what everybody's saying because I want to be safe. You know, I don't want people to judge me or, you know, um, and they don't even understand what this BLM thing is all about. And I was just like, wait a minute, it's just know yourself if you're cool with people, you know, or is it really just showing who you really are, (laughs) you know, is it unveiling that and you're not happy about it. You know Um, it's, it's switching on something in their subconscious, which is making them feel guilty for maybe one thing that they may have done, or maybe a, maybe they are a racist. Yeah. You know, now they're like, Oh, I don't want anybody to know that. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, exactly. I totally agree with you on that. And the, the sad part is that I, you know, people can support what they want to support, but the problem is if it's getting to the point where it's like a witch hunt, if you don't, if you don't go along with it. And it's really sad. I mean, there was people getting, especially when it first broke all the black lives matter stuff. And like people, there was a few people online that were willing to put their, especially white people that were online that were willing to put, to, to say something about it. They were getting fired. There was people getting fired from their job. Yeah. People were getting fired. Were yeah. getting canceled yep. people were it was absolutely insane and yep. I was just like watching this I was like huh so this is what was okay interesting you know this is this is what's trickling this is what's going down you know um I mean I 
what I have to say about it is um, I think everybody has has faced some kind of discrimination. I don't think there's one person in the world that said, oh, I've never been discriminated against. That's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember going to um, a private school where I was a minority. I mean, it was a bunch of Filipino kids. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and I was like one of the only white Italian people. My parents spoke Italian, you know, um, English was their second language. Mm -hmm. And there was like maybe two or three of us in the classroom and it was all Filipino kids. Yep. You know, I was just like, whoa, I feel, do you know how I felt? I felt like, wow. I'm not Filipino. I'm missing out. Like, so yeah. like yeah. it was, it was just very, very um, interesting world. And then I remember even teaching at a all black university um, yeah. in Compton. Yeah. And I really enjoyed that. Cause I was like, Ooh, I love what's going on here. You know, yeah. um, they're trying to get more black nurses, more black male nurses into the profession. I love this. It was a brand yes. new school that had just started again. I was one of the only white people there and mm -hmm. um and there was filipino uh nurse educators or uh was black nurse educators so i'm sitting in my office one day one of the teachers approaches me and she's like how does it feel to be the only white person in an all-black school yeah. i was like what yeah <laughs> You just did you just what did you just say you know yeah, like yeah. I just and I never saw it that way I was like well this is cool this yeah is absolutely yeah there were so many different people I mean we had Nigerian students there and they were bringing a lot of their culture and they talk about it they do the dress and I love that like I love cultures and I, I um I wanted to be an anthropologist once upon yeah. a time. So I love seeing, I was like, Ooh, what's that about? You know? And, and I'm even on TikTok. I'm like watching quinceaneras. Yeah. I'm watching like Nigerian weddings. I'm watching Indian weddings. I'm very fascinated by that. I love it. You know, it's so different and, and eclectic for me, you know, um, that's just who I am. So when I was being asked by this, this, teacher I was like what so and then she didn't say anything and walked away yeah. I just thought it was yeah. weird and um I remember bringing it up to I was like what do I do about this you yeah. know and I did bring it up to one teacher who um she was Jamaican so the Jamaicans are always cool <laughs> yeah I actually have Jamaican that's yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so, um, you know, Jamaicans always will, will, um, they're not afraid to say what's on their minds, you know, yeah, and absolutely. from my experience, from yeah. my experience, she was like, what? And she, yeah. goes, she was like, oh, and, nah, 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 nah. and, yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, there was just a lot of other drama going on at that school. Unfortunately, uh, my time there was very short and I was like, okay, got what I needed to get and I'm on my way, you know, <laughs> so yeah. on to the next yeah. thing. Um, so, but it was very, very interesting. And I think it happens to everyone, you know, and um, like in the words of Rodney King, can't we all just get along, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it just takes away from our individual stories and that's, Moving on to now where I'm, I'm more of a voice about critical race theory. So because I was in the school. Yeah, let's talk I'm, about that. Yeah, because I was a, um, a teacher and I actually, because there's the leftist, you know, the mainstream media, which is controlled by leftist narratives, right? Um, for the most part. 
Yes, they've yes. been pushing a message out to America that critical race theory is not in our schools, not in our K through 12 schools. And that, um, but they've also been pushing out the message that it's something good. So it's like, which one do you guys want? Is it either not in our schools or it's something good that's in our schools that we need to keep because there's movements across the nation to ban it from our schools. And there's a lot of misunderstanding. So some people think critical race theory is the teaching of black history or the teaching of, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the hard history that we have in America, which is true. We do have some hard history in America and we still have some stuff going on today that isn't right, you know? But that doesn't, but that that's critical race theory is not that, you know, it's not, if you ban critical race theory, it's not going to ban the hard history of America. Kids will still be taught about the displacement of native Americans. They'll still be taught about slavery and Jim Crow. That's not what critical race theory is. What critical race theory is, is applying guilt to all of the institutions in America currently and applying guilt and victimhood to races currently. So that's why they want to work to dismantle the institutions in America, dismantle our constitution and that kind of stuff. Um, and say that the constitution is white supremacist and it was created by white supremacy. So therefore we need to start all over again with what? I don't know. They're weird stuff. Chaz, you know, Chaz that happened in Oregon. I saw something that they were saying they don't even want to talk about what happened last January with the takeover of um, the Capitol building and, and all of that. They're like, oh, we don't want to teach that. So why it happened? I yeah, mean- exactly. 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 So, so, so critical race theory is basically applying guilt to all the institutions now and saying that it's all white supremacist and, and, and also applying guilt to white people now and victimhood to minorities now. And then it's teaching our kids that. So it's teaching our kids to look at everyone based on their race and treat everyone based on their race. So that's why um, you'll have things like privilege quizzes, which was actually done at my school and where the kids are privilege quiz. Oh my God. Yeah. So where they rank the kids by privilege. So they ask these very invasive questions and then they have the kids rank themselves by privilege and say, Oh, I'm on the top or I'm on the bottom. And what, how do you feel about being on top? And how do you feel about being on the bottom? And they're very loaded questions because they never include stuff like fatherlessness, which doesn't have a color, even though it does disproportionately affect the black community. It does affect all kids that are without are in fatherless homes. They have some of the most heartbreaking statistics in America right now. Fatherlessness is one of the worst things that could happen to a family and to a child, but they won't have that question in the privilege quiz. They won't have, and I don't think they should. I think, I think that they shouldn't even do a privilege quiz. Right. No, I'm talking about this is ridiculous. Yes. How long have they been doing this for? So this has been in the colleges for a long time. In fact, when I went and got my master's of education, 15 years ago, I started that program. They had us do a privilege walk where they had us all stand outside. I had no idea what I was getting into. And at the time I was still on the left, but they had us uh-huh. all stand in a line outside and they would ask us questions to step forward. If you've done this, step back, if you've done that. And then they would have the us look around and who's, who's had the worst oppression and who's had the most, you know, and like reflect on that with your classmates. This was in college. Now they're bringing it into the high schools and the middle schools and the elementary schools. That is so creepy. Was that like a sociology class? No, it was for my master's in education. Yeah. Oh my God. I think it had something to do with, you know, they always, they do a lot. They put a lot of, I was at UC Santa Cruz, which is in, in uh, California, very, very left-leaning area. And um, I did at the time, man, that was, that was, that's a whole other story, but 
Um, <laughs> it is leaving the left and all that. But anyways, so these kids are being taught to look at each other based on their race. And it, and also CRT rejects the idea of colorblindness. So that is not an ideal for society. They want, they actually say colorblindness is a white construct. So really? when you tell me that you don't see, you see me as, and I see you as a beautiful, strong, a capable woman, yeah. right? Person, right? no, how dare you? Like you, you need to be looking at my color first and addressing me based on my race first, you know, or you saying, you saying, oh, I have black friends. That's now considered a microaggression to tell a black person that you have black friends. That's now a microaggression, you know, like just really crazy stuff that's coming out right now. Okay. So people go, I have Armenian friends or I have Italian friends, but that's okay. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's, so it's all very, it's all very backwards and I'm seeing it. And so I see this, I saw the lessons in my school. They even explicitly taught my students because it was required class in ninth grade, ethnic studies in California, in my district. And they even taught them explicit critical race theory. They taught them the definition. They had them look up school, look at school policy through the critical race theory lens. And, um, and it's, it's really divisive stuff. And honestly, even if you are a fan of critical race theory, teach that to your own child, you know, force it on parents that don't want their taught child to be taught to not be colorblind. Don't force it on parents who'd rather have that time spent on reading, making sure their kids are reading at grade level, which is a tragedy that's not happening in our country right now that our kids are coming out of high school reading at a fifth grade level, you know, most kids don't like, and I, and I kind of, um, told you this on Instagram, when I get a kid that's four five, six years old, I have to ask them when they're, when I'm doing a physical exam on them, I have to ask them, do you know where you live? Do you know your address? Yeah. Do you know the phone number of at least one parent? No one does. No one does up until 10, 11, 12. Sometimes even teenagers sometimes don't know it. What's going on there? We had to, I remember going to kindergarten and having to learn where I lived and I had to know that, you know, and, and I'll ask the kids sometimes like, well, what are you going to do if you get lost? And they're like, what? I go, what's your plan? And I ask the parents, do you guys have a plan? Like if, you know, and they're like, what? We're supposed to have a plan. It's so sad what's going on in our society. It's heartbreaking. It is. So I went to a Facebook site because I was like, I know I'm not the only one that this is happening to. And there's a lot of nurse practitioners. There's over like 20,000 nurse practitioners all over the United States on this um, Facebook site. And I asked, I was like, hey, when you guys do a physical exam, are you guys getting these same results? And they said, yeah, the majority, the majority, wow. very kid no no kid knows where they live or what the phone number of one parent is in the wow. United States of America that is see that's such so a good, sad that's such a good illustration of what is happening in our schools right now yeah. is oh. kids are not learning the practical tools they need to get through life and it's no wonder that they are you know so depressed I mean we're seeing higher anxiety yeah. issues we're seeing higher depression we're seeing a lot more acting out I mean it is I've been teaching for 15 years and it is yes, acting out. Yes. I, I mean, I've been getting parents in with like two-year-olds, three-year-olds, and they're having these crazy, you know, outbursts because they're addicted to uh, the phones and screens and stuff like that. That's one of the main things, you know, they're acting like crack addicts when you're trying yeah. to take it away. Yep. I was like, uh, y- you know, um, 
but yeah, talk a little bit about that. So what have, what has your experiences with outbursts been in classrooms? Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed because I, one of my main skills as a teacher is classroom management. I mean, that's something I address right away with my classes. We do actually two weeks of just learning the routines, setting really strict boundaries. In fact, my students usually don't like me at the beginning because I am so strict. Like, but I, I tell them I'm like Mary Poppins. If you ever watched Mary Poppins is like right, one of my, right. he's like a hero of mine. Mary Poppins did not play. Like she was a fun lady. But she did not play. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. You got those little naughty kids in line. And that's exactly what I would do every year. And I would constantly, I would ask my coworkers, like, don't send me emails about kids that we share about how bad that kid is. Because I don't want, I don't want to even look at that child in that way because I had so few behavior problems in my class. You know but what? I'm going to stop yeah. you right there because sure. that has happened to me. I had a parent, I'm going to give you an example. She had a sure. five-year-old. And, um, he was in kindergarten, he, he was acting out and the teachers would tell each other and, and they would treat him like that. And he got oh. tossed around like two or yeah. three teachers. And mm-hmm. she was so, I, I mean, the kid had a speech problem, Yeah, you know, I go, he's got to speak. He, the problem is he was hitting kids and mm-hmm. I go, it's because he can't express himself. And I go, I caught it right away. And I go, I don't understand why no one caught this poor kid. Wow. You know? Yeah. And so I sent him to speech therapy. I wrote the teachers a letter saying, yes. you know what, please don't t- treat this child that way. He cannot communicate, you know, and when someone crosses a boundary, you know, he'll push them or he'll hit them, you know, cause they're invading his space. And, and I was like, the fact that you got, I didn't put that in the letter the fact that you yeah. couldn't get it, but it's because they're all tainting each other on this is the bad. Yeah, absolutely. That and have. that happens all the time in the teaching profession. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to bag on our public schools for a second. They're pretty, go ahead and do it. Yeah. Yeah. They're bad. They're the things I've been seeing. I I think people need to get it in their minds that the experiences that they had in the nineties and the eighties as kids in school, and now their children are in school is nothing like what it was like for us. It's not. And I even had a hard time in high school and middle school. I mean, I was, I was, um, you know, I've lost 70 pounds myself. I've I know you look amazing. I saw that. Thank you. And that's actually another thing is that you get treated very differently when you lose weight. They don't talk about that. They don't talk about how differently you are treated from when you were heavier to when you were lighter. Just, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like even just that can change the way people treat you. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so, um, so what's happening right now in our schools, especially the last five years, I've seen it really get bad the last five years is that our schools are no longer educating our kids. They're now indoctrinating our kids and destroying their souls, like destroying their little innocent, sweet souls. Yeah. That's what they're trying to do. I taught middle school and, and before, remember when you used to get health class in 10th grade, that's at least that's what it was like for us. We got it sophomore Uh year and it was still kind of shocking. Even sophomore year, you know, Mm -hmm. I was, I definitely considered myself as kind of like a worldly kid. Like I learned about a lot of things, but I never really that's a whole nother story too, but, um, I never really did any of that. I knew about it, but I didn't exactly, I didn't do any of the bad stuff. Right. I knew about it and I talked about it and I tried to act like I was a bad kid, but deep down I had done nothing. Right. And now they're giving that same health class and making it more graphic, but giving it to seventh graders. Wow. I would have my students come in, my seventh graders come in and be like, Miss Fontania, that class is so uncomfortable. Like we don't like that class. It's so uncomfortable. And what were they doing? What so were they? It's, it's 
straight up X-rated now because they're teaching kids. They do want to do pleasure-based sex ed. So it's not oh just, so they're te- teaching kids how to have sex, but in a way that's pleasurable, which, okay, cool. We know that teenagers are having sex. They can go to YouTube if they right. want to learn how to have, not their teacher. Not their you know? teacher. That's yeah, so that's not correct. And especially the kids that are completely not into that. And they're getting their little, I hate to put it this way, but they're getting their little cherries, their innocent cherries popped by their teachers. You know what I'm saying? That's so it's awful true. to say that, it, but that's what's happening. I agree. I think it should be um, more structured in a way, you know, because I've seen some um, obstetrics doctors, OBGYNs teaching stuff. Um, doctors and it's make more sense to me to, to go yeah. in than a teacher. Yeah. And it's it's because just, I, I don't think it should be pleasure because they don't understand that at that age. You know, you could tell them, okay, because it, sex is a huge commitment. I tell yeah. my patients that all the time. You know, um, I had a 13 year old one day call eating with me and she just wanted to talk to me by herself. She had done all this research. She had this 14 year old boyfriend and she was contemplating whether to have sex with him or not. And he had already had sex. And I was like, wow, this is like, I was very impressed with her. And I said, and she wanted to hear from me, like my point of view, all her research. And so we sat down and talked about it, you know, and, Uh and, um, what comes along with it. And, um, and I didn't, you know, make it sound pleasurable, like a porn or anything. I mean, it was just about the facts Mm -hmm. so that she could make her own decision. And her mom was there, but waiting in the waiting room. And so, and her her mom knew and stuff. And I was like, well, she's a very intelligent young woman. Um, My office manager was like, if that was my kid, I would have slapped her. And I go, why? Like, like she's trying to get informed yeah you know I I guess and that's that's the problem is that we aren't treating these children like individuals with individual families who have different moral values exactly and we need to honor that in America we are a place of freedom and there are families that have different moral values than maybe the family than maybe the person the neighbor next door to you and what they're doing is they're applying uh, they're taking whatever is the subscribed narrative moral value and push forcing that on everyone's kids. Yes. And it's really not right. It's really a violation of parental rights. That's about, that's the best I way agree. to put it. Violation. And I think one-on-one conversations are very different than what a teacher is teaching to their whole class. Exactly. You know? And um, especially with a one-on-one conversation with your nur- a nurse or a doctor, that's very right. different. It's than very what, and there's, there's laws with that. And it's, that's a whole, that's very different. Other thing, a yeah. Teacher, is teaching to their whole class, which is what was happening to my seventh graders where they were coming back saying they were so uncomfortable. And parents don't even know what's going on, especially in the community that I was in because it was mainly, um, a lot of my students are English learners and their parents don't speak any English. And so the parents had no idea. I mean, these are Catholic families. A lot of them come from Catholic backgrounds. You know, they're from Mexico. Catholic Catholicism is the largest religion there. And they're very conservative in their values, you know, and to know if they're, if they got to see some of the stuff their child was being taught, they would be so upset, you know, and it should be a parent's choice on how much they want to expose their child to at certain ages, you know? So anyways, it's just really bad. And that's just one side of it. That's just a very small, that's just one side of it. Our kids are being attacked on all angles. So, and then we have forced masks on our children. We just watched the Super Bowl yesterday with 70,000 people in a stadium screaming together. And then the kids the next day have to wear masks. Yeah. 
And the mayor is not wearing a mask. The governor is not wearing a mask. Not wearing masks. They get called out on it. Yeah, all the celebrities are not wearing masks. I mean, they took pictures of Kim Kardashian's kids. They weren't wearing wearing masks, you know. And um, and what the mayor got asked, he's like, "Oh, hey, you're not wearing a mask." And he took a picture with Magic Johnson. He was like, "I was holding my breath. Why are you? What is going on? I'm just like these people want me to." I, I just want to like pull my hair out. I can't anymore with these, these guys that are running our country. And I as was a teacher, like, yeah. And as a teacher who has witnessed the mask wearing in classrooms, because even though I taught, I taught, I've, I've moved from California to Florida, it's optional out here in Florida and it's been optional for a year and a half. That's so cool. since the schools have been opened, it has been optional. If a parent wants to put a their child in a mask, they can, if they don't, they don't have to. And, and they I think ignore, that's how it should be. And they, and they just ignore that in the media. They just ignore the fact that most states aren't doing it. Okay. But when students are wearing masks, the way that they treat them is disgusting. Like <laughs> they do not, I mean, if, like, okay, if you want to say they offer protection, it's totally been nullified with the way these kids treat their masks in class because they're taking them off to eat and putting them on the table and letting it pick up whatever germs they're, right. they're snotting in it. They're, they're wearing it all day. They wear the same mask every single day over and over again. Right. It's a wash. Like exactly. It doesn't get washed. They're um, constantly fiddling with it and you're not supposed to touch it. Right. You're supposed to just right. put it on and leave it alone. Constantly fiddling with it. They're taking him off to take breaths, you know, to breathe. I had this one girl, she would always like wearing two masks and she would take it off to breathe. And I was like, so sad. I'm like, oh my Very gosh, this not. I had to write a, a kid a, a note so he could take off his his mask to breathe because he was having anxiety and panic attacks and um, sinus problems. So I wrote him a note that said he could go outside and take like 15 minute breaks to breathe and take off his mask. Wow. Tell me if he did that, he would get in trouble. Oh. And um, there was a, a point too. This is another thing that I brought to that Facebook group of nurse practitioners. Um, where kids weren't being allowed to go to the bathroom. So in one week, I got like three or four kids, um, male and female, coming in with urinary tract inf- infections, but they were not a true urinary tract infection. They were more constipated, which wow. was causing a little bit of bacteria to go into their urine, you know, because of the constipation. I was like, this is really interesting. What's going on with this? Yeah. And they were saying that we're not letting them go to the bathroom. Um, so now these kids are getting constipated and, and they were saying it was because of a TikTok. This is one of the theories that I got. It was a TikTok challenge where kids were destroying their bathrooms. Yeah. That, that uh, is putting it on true. TikTok. Yeah, that is true. So, that is, that is happening. Yeah, some- and that's, what's the problem with these public schools is when it was, when there is a few kids that do horrible things on campus, the whole school, everybody gets blamed. Yeah. And that's not... something that's totally avoided. If you don't have your kid in a public school or you homeschool them, you don't have to deal with that. And speaking of that, I'm actually opening, opening my own school. It's going to be yeah, online... talk about that. What's your, yeah. what's your school going to be about and how are you going about putting it together? Yeah. So it's going to be a K through 12 online school. It's called Exodus Institute and it's fully accredited. Um, and so if a parent is wanting to pull their child from a public school, but they don't necessarily want to be the child's teacher, because some, some parents just aren't cut out for that. They're just like, I don't want to be the one that has to, you know, teach my kids division, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, I want to, I want to be able to do other things with my child. Right. And so we are there for them to be credentialed teachers 
give them a full program if they need that. But then we're also doing per course. So let's say a parent just needs a math course for their child, or especially for high schoolers, maybe they're behind on a few credits. We're going to be, we could do that as well. And then we can also give, um, we're also going to be doing an enrichment program for people that already have their kids in public school or already have their kids in a homeschool program, but they want to add some extra lessons that are really interesting about that kind of debunk some of the narratives our kids are being force fed right now. So we'll go into the true history of slavery. Right now, our kids get a very one-sided view of slavery, um, which basically only puts slavery on the white man. It's only a white man issue when really slavery was worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was world. I mean, we have slavery right now, right now, India has 18 million slaves. You know, and their government, right. their government Italy does very little too. to stop it, huh? Right. Italy has slaves too. The exactly. Chinese. I've talked exactly. about it when the pandemic was happening. Um, so there's a lot of um, Chinese who are kind of kept as slaves. Like they, yes. some of them have to pay over a hundred thousand dollars for their freedom, and yeah. they're working in the fashion district. You know, yep, because they're, they're making your cute handbags. Yeah. Right. Right. They wanted the the made in Italy. Handbags. Bags. So they brought um, the slaves to Italy. Yep. They keep them in terrible conditions. Yep. Uh, and if they want their freedom, it's about a hundred thousand uh, to buy their freedom. And that's why things like Colin Kaepernick doing a an ad with Nike and being like, "I'm all about black people," when Nike is like one of the worst human rights yeah. uh, corporations out there, you know, in terms of violating human rights. So it's just. You know, and that kind of stuff kids aren't learning about. And so I always, I like, for example, they can go to Exodus Institute and learn about child labor on cocoa farms, which is happening right. in, in Africa right now. You know, there's child labor, you know, M&M came out with their woke M&Ms, but they're actually in trouble for, for, for getting their cocoa from child labor, you wow. know, and, and we don't hear about this. Also brings, so, so when you're teaching that, this is what it also brings to the kids. Cause my parents would teach us this, you know? Yeah teaches them to value what they have absolutely and how lucky they are to have been born in the United States absolutely to have parents Mm -hmm. you know I I mean I was working at one of the shelters I've talked about this on other um, programs the migrant shelters which again that's another whole political drama Mm -hmm. um, which I know you talk a little bit about Obama like the um, old labor secretary for Obama was running these shelters she was the politician in charge which is interesting to me so all these kids were coming in but they knew where they were going but they were so excited you know Mm -hmm. because they knew being here is such a privilege and I think so many kids that live here take that for granted so teaching them that hey kids in other countries this is what they're through, yeah. you know, really value what you have. Cause, it, cause I, I think a lot of these kids don't value. They're like, I'm no. just depressed. Not only do they not value it, they are now being, not only do they not value it, but they are now being actively taught that the American dream is not real right? It's not for them. They are being actively taught that America is an oppressive country. It's one of the worst countries in the world. And therefore it needs to be burnt down or dismantled. Um, decolonize is another word that they use. And then they're being taught that, that they are personally oppressed. And when really they're living in some of the most, they're living better than anyone in history. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like absolutely. it's, it's absolutely. And then and they, yeah, and they act they like they are the most oppressed. In history. Yeah. Even the, even the uh, 
poor child in America, which I, my students were majority poverty level um, in, you know, my students were, it was a very low income area that I taught. And it was mainly um, like kids that were, had parents that were illegals that came to this country to mm-hmm. better their, and a lot of them sacrificed a lot to get here and bring their children right. here. Those are and, most of my patients. Yeah. Yeah. And now these children are being taught that the American dream is not real, even though their parents did so much sacrifice to get them here. Are you kidding me? Right. You know, and these, and these kids, yes, the, even though they were considered impoverished in America, what are impoverished is very, very, very radically different than what it's like in Mexico or in India, you know, radically different. And, but then, you know, you say something like that and you're like, oh, those are just white supremacist talking points, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, you guys shut up, you, you know, have to label it and identify <laughs> it with something always. I mean, yeah. totally crazy, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's it's very, very sad what's going on. Um, I want to bring up the Super Bowl. I don't know if you watched the Super Bowl halftime show yesterday. I did, yeah. Okay, so um, here's my take on it. I want to know what you thought of it. Because sure. when I was watching it, um, I was like, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big Snoop Dogg fan and I love rap and, and all of this and, and stuff. But I was watching it with a very critical eye. I was like, okay, what are they going to show us? You know, and the first thing that got me was the stage and how they had everybody in boxes. I was like, okay, this is interesting. They're wanting to put everybody in a box, yeah. you know, whether that, uh, you know, so we have to really look at that. And it kind of looked like the shipping containers in Long Beach in a way. And now in Long Beach, California, they have a bunch of um, new buildings that kind of look like that. You know, mm. they're kind of all boxy. And um, and a lot of the conspiracy theorists are saying, yeah, they want to put everybody in a box, like in very small apartments, very compartmentalized. That's where you're going to be living, you know, um, kind of segregation. The mm. other thing that I got, too, was the prison wear. I was like, oh, this is great. I get it. Death row records. I get it. But but what are you putting out there? Hmm. No, it's like, is this what you want children to be? I mean, it's like, why don't we talk about rehabilitation? It's Hmm. like, that's great. And I guess that's your brand, but really come on with what's going on. You know, they're more, it's more programming. Hey, it's cool to wear prison garb and to go back and forth in prison and, and just have this low level life, you know, that that's all it is for you. And that's all you're going to become. That's what they're, they're trying to show people, you know, in my point of view. Well, that's the soft, soft bigotry of low expectations. It's a very, I think it's, who says that Thomas Sowell, he's a very great writer. Um, He's written some amazing books. Anyways, uh, it's basically that, that we have very low expectations for our black and brown kids in America. And we put that on them, you know, like, oh, you know, you can be an entertainer, you can be in football, you can, you know, when really they're so much more, they're capable of so much more. Exactly. And um, what it's interesting. I actually smoked weed with Snoop Dogg back in my 19 year old, 20 year old time. Yeah. Oh my God. Tell the story. That's awesome. Yeah. So actually it's a, it's, it's a really protected story because I did not know that I was going to go smoke with Snoop Dogg. So my friend, was in, this was during, I was, I was young and 20 during the, the peak of that era, which was really a fun time to be young, you know, but also yeah, it was. a lot of bad experiences too, at the same time, because a lot of the men treat the women like garbage. And that's something that we don't, you know, that the left has totally ignored that gangster rap is some of the most misogynistic music out there, but yeah. the beats are great. You know, the beats are great, but it's very so horrible the way they treat women. Let's just right. be honest. True. And right. 
So, so my friend, she invites, she calls me and I'm in college. This is like, I'm 20 years old. She's in music videos. She's beautiful. She's been in several music videos. We hang out or whatever. She tries to convince me to do that, but I never was never wanted to do that. I was like, no, that's, that's silly. Like, and I had just recently lost like 50 pounds. I've lost more of it as I've gotten older, but, um, you know, and I was kind of feeling myself or whatever. And, and she calls me, she says, Hey, we're going to go to diamond bar to Snoop's house. And I thought she meant that meant a bar or something like this bar called Snoop's house. I didn't know we were actually going to go to Snoop's house in diamond bar. He actually had a house that he bought where he housed a studio. It's not his main house where his family is, but he had a house in diamond bar where his studio was and where people kicked it. Right. And so she calls me up and she's like, you want to come? And I'm like, sure. And I just like, if I had known that we were actually going to Snoop's house, I probably would have worn the most hoochie outfit possible and put myself (laughs) in like, the most like crazy looking, you know, tons of makeup and just presented my like ultimate, like, Hey, I'm cute self. Right. But instead I thought we were just going to some diamond bars, kind of like a Valley area of LA. It's not really like, it's not really like a a destination. Right. So I'm like, we're going to some random bar in diamond bar. So I'm going to, I just was like wearing a sweatshirt and I had my hair like in a low bun, you know? So I was like, not cute. Right. And we go and we park at this house. I'm like, wait, we're actually going to snoop we're actually going to see Snoop Dogg. And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. And so wow. we go into this room and first there's like two guards that check our purses when we come in. And then we go into the studio room and um, Nate Dogg's actually there before he had died. And his girl was like sitting behind him, like mean mugging us, like you better not look at Nate Dogg, you know? And so we're sitting in the room, there's probably about, they're all playing bones. I think that game where you like have the dice or whatever. And uh-huh. I mean, not the dice, but the, the, um, oh gosh, why am I blinking on the name? It's not dice. It's the other one where you're dominoes. There we go. Oh. They have dominoes. They're playing some dominoes game. Right. And there's this white guy who's working on beats in the background. Like, I wonder if that's who really makes their beats too, actually. There's like this little like long haired white guy who's like just making beats in the background, you know? (laughs) And then Snoop comes in and he starts passing around like a blunt. And I take, I take some of the blunt and oh my gosh, I get so high out of my mind. I'm like, I can't believe that I'm here. It felt so surreal. It was nuts. Like I actually regret that I smoked because it just made me go into like this weird place, you know? But anyways, (laughs) that's the end of the story. We ended up leaving like about an hour later and he like talked to me a little bit and I was like super high, like, Oh, it's Snoop Dogg with this high weed. I was like, you know, yeah. So that's, that's that. But the thing is about, about all of that is that, you know, we saw Eminem take the knee at the end, you know? So oh, he took a knee. I didn't notice that. Yeah. So he took a knee at the end in, in honor of Kaepernick or whatever. And it's like, I'm just like, I'm just so sick of it. I'm just so yeah. sick of it. Like the way that the one white person that performed had to pay their penance. You know what I'm saying? Like that he had to make sure that he did some sort of virtue signaling to show that he right, belongs right. there with the rest of them. Right. You know, I mean, I honestly think that's why he did it. Eminem hasn't done anything for black America except outsell them in rap music, you know? Um, I was surprised he was there. I was like, why are they putting, I mean, I understood like Snoop Dogg. He's from LA. I don't think Mary J. Blige is from Los Angeles. I I don't think he was. I was like, what are they trying to do here? Like, I don't get it. Was it just a death row records thing? Like I, I was trying to figure it out. I don't know if Eminem is with death row. I'm not sure. 
Yeah, he was signed by, he oh, was okay. signed by Dre. Yeah. So then that's what they were trying yeah, to do. Yeah, but I'm not sure about Kendrick Lamar either. I was like, I don't even know who that that's a new rapper from nowadays. And he like yeah. he was way worse than the rest of them. Like he did not belong. He was like, yeah. get, get the old school stuff back on. But anyways, like Eminem had to virtue signal in front of and on national TV you know, pay his penance. He's getting praised, you know, cause he just took a knee. Like that's such a big deal. And that's the kind of stuff that happens right now. You can, you can basically, you know, I mean, if we want to talk about cultural appropriation, he's the king of it, you know, Eminem, but it's not a bad thing. I think it's cool. Like he's an amazing artist, but he gets a pass cause he took a knee, you know, at the, at the, um, at the, uh, at the Super Bowl. but someone like Aquafina, who's like a, you know, she's a, she's an Asian comedian. comedian she yeah. get, got slayed by the media for using a black scent, you know, and she uses a black scent. So therefore she's culturally appropriate. I mean, they don't even follow their own rules. It's so ridiculous. They know it's, it's all over the place. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. It's, it's like, like when we were talking in the beginning of the podcast about people getting canceled and people, uh, because of what they said, it's like, the rules don't apply to everybody as we saw at the Super Bowl in the mass. <laughs> so it's just so crazy. But anyway, so any closing remarks? I mean, I love this conversation. It's yeah. much fun. I love what you're doing. You know, yeah. keep going. Um, and I would love to have you back on in the future. But um, closing remarks, anything you want to just kind of say? I just think everyone needs to just really make sure they're being authentic to themselves. You know, I think a lot of times we're trying to make sure we're pleasing others and we're doing what the media wants us to do or what the cancel culture freaks want us to do, you know, but we just got to, and ever since I've embraced who I really am and just decided to forget it, I'm not going to follow anyone's rules. It's been, it's been a wild ride and I'm really glad I didn't do that. And if you're interested in my school, the website is thinkexodus.org. So if they're um, right now we're, we are, we're taking in, uh, we have a mailing list. We're hoping to launch in March. It's a lot of work. So my husband, he's also an educator and he's, he's helping to get this thing launched. He's very sharp. He's the one that's doing most of the work. But, um, but yeah, so think exodus.org. If you want to check out my school, you can follow me on social media. That's a wild ride too. You can see all the hate I get because I always call that out, but, um, but yeah, I am happy to be here. I love free thinkers. I think it's awesome. I think we need to just continue to unite in our freedom of thought. Excellent. And I'm going to add all your links on our show notes so people can just go on there and check out your school and check out your TikTok channel and everything and all the amazing stuff that you're doing. Thank so you. awesome. Thank you so much, nurses and hypochondriacs. Till next time. Goodbye. This episode was brought to you by Rogue Nurse Media and the Well-Written Nurse, empowering nurses and patients to tell their stories.